If you've experienced a DNA surprise, you know that your emotions can range from shock to denial to grief to anger to confusion to joy and around again. And sometimes it's hard to find people who understand this unique experience. Sometimes we feel a little stuck as we navigate this journey. That's why we created the DNA Surprise Retreat. At the DNA Surprise Retreat, you'll enjoy six expert-led sessions to help you process your DNA surprise. You'll eat delicious catered meals, and most importantly, you'll build beautiful friendships with people who understand you, all in a stunning private ranch facility in the Arizona desert. If you've had shocking DNA test results, know that you're not alone. This retreat is for you. Join us September 19th through the 22nd, 2024 in Phoenix, Arizona. Registration is open now. Reserve your space at dnasurpriseretreat.com. I'll see you there. About a month or two ago, my sister called me and my sister said, I saw mom. And I said, okay. And she said, she's asking when she can see your kids. And my sister said, she just rolled her eyes at my mom. And my mom looked at her and said, what? She doesn't want me to see her kids because of what happened two years ago. And she's referring to me finding out that my biological father was not the man that raised me. And she's saying it was an incident that happened two years ago. It wasn't an incident that happened two years ago. It happened over my entire life. Imagine spitting into a tube, sending off your DNA, and unknowingly turning your life upside down. For me and thousands of others, this is our reality. I'm your host, Alexis Auerselt. In July of 2021, I discovered that I am an NPE, someone who has experienced a non-paternal event. In other words, my biological father isn't who I thought he was. This podcast shares the journeys of people who were shocked by a DNA discovery, mostly through modern DNA testing. We're telling the stories of NPEs, adoptees, and donor-conceived people and their families. This is DNA Surprises. Sometimes DNA surprises aren't surprising at all, but validating. In this week's episode, Kim shares how she learned that after feeling different from her family her entire life, she's not genetically related to her raised father. She also learned that she isn't white, as she believed, but descends from a large Mexican family. She shares how she's processing her surprise and how she's connected with her family. After my interview with Kim, she decided to turn her DNA surprise into support for others. At the end of the episode, we reconnect to discuss what's changed for her and what she's doing now. Thank you for sharing your story, Kim. Uh, My name is Kim, and I am from New England, but I was born in Canada, and I am 43. I did 23andMe in 2015. And I actually did it for health reasons. My mom has um, pretty serious underlying health conditions. 
And I wanted to see genetically if I was had high risk factor. I wanted to see if I had risk factors for those few things. And I didn't even know about the ancestry, all that side of it. I only knew about the medical side. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I did 23andMe just for health reasons. I was probably ignorant back then, probably like a lot of people, and didn't realize the extent of information you can get from that site. And I didn't think anything of it. It gave me the medical information that I needed. And I kind of just let it rest. Well, then in 2017, I got a message from a cousin sent me a note and I read the email and it said, we want to know how you're related to us. And I thought, I looked at the name and I thought, this is so strange. I I didn't think much of it. I was like, I I was thinking anybody could write anybody else on 23andMe, Mm. sort of like in Facebook. I was thinking anybody can contact me. I can contact contact anybody else, having no idea that DNA was actually tied to these messages, if that makes sense. Yeah. Talk about ignorance. But that's common, I think, especially because 23andMe really marketed with the medical information that a lot of people didn't realize that they could have DNA matches. Okay, that that makes sense. That makes me feel better because I, I really didn't have a clue. So somebody contacted me and they she asked me how we're related. And I didn't think anything of it and I just let it go. I just said, I have no idea. I, I just didn't, I, had, I was clueless. So there's no better way to say it other than clueless. So in the meantime, after she sent that message, I noticed I kept accumulating family members in my matches. Again, not even realizing what those matches are. I, I, I just didn't know. More and more kept coming up. I thought, maybe there's something there. Why, does, why do these cousins keep coming up that I don't recognize any of these names? I realized they were extended family, going through them, nobody, no close matches. So I thought, I really thought nothing of it. Well... Fast forward 2018-2019, I got so many matches, I had over a thousand matches that I thought, that's so weird. Maybe I should maybe I should look into it. So I called my dad, my birth certificate father, and I said, Dad, somebody contacted me on 23andMe asking how we're related, but I don't understand it because that person was from Mexico. Do we have family from Mexico? Did we have anybody that migrated to Mexico? And he said, no. And I said, are you sure? Turns out we had him diagnosed last year. Um, I had him diagnosed with autism. Mm. He, we went through a bunch of psychological testing. Yeah, and that explains a lot when you hear what happened. But he has autism, which is good because now we have an answer and we can address certain things. Mm-hmm. But I called him and he said, no, we don't have any family in Mexico or that came from Mexico. So I said, please double check. And I had him call his, his cousin's. Now, his cousins are all in Canada because he was born there. That's how I was born there. So he's calling them and checking around. And I called him back a few months later because I don't talk to him that often. I said, did you check on the family? He said, yeah, we don't have anybody from Mexico. Everybody migrated from England. We're all British. And I said, okay, fine. Then I got thinking. I kept thinking about all those matches coming from Mexico. And I'm like, that is so bizarre. And then at that point, I realized I started digging around enough. And I started realizing this is on my father's side. Mm. Well, I called him one day out of the blue in 2019. I think it was 2019. I called him and I said, Dad, I'm getting all these Mexican matches. Are you positive on my paternal side? Are you positive you're my biological father? And he said, yes. And I said, okay, how do you know that? (laughs) And he said, well, the summer of 1978. Now, my mom was in education. She was a speech therapist back then. but So she had summers off. He said, 
your mom took the summer and he went, she went and she stayed on a ranch in Colorado and they were not married at this point. She went and she stayed on the ranch. She came back. I, we got pregnant with you and you were born in May. <laughs> so mm. logically, if you think about that, there's red flags, right? Yeah, the timing is At off. least there were for yeah. me. It, exactly. I'm like, so I immediately got off the phone with him. I will never forget that conversation. I know exactly what road I was on. I was driving and I'll never forget that conversation because I immediately hung up the phone and I called my husband and I told my husband what my, what my dad said. And he said, my husband said, there's no way he's your father. And I said, I agree with you. I agree. I totally agree with you. So I got off the phone with my husband and I called my sister and I only have one sister. I was raised, raised with one sister and we're five years apart. And so I called her and I said, will you do a DNA test for me? And she said, why? And I told her what my dad said. And she said, you're crazy. And I said, let me, let, will you do it? If I pay for it and buy it for you for Christmas, will you do the test? She said, Sure. In the meantime, she's calling me crazy. I want to preface this with, and I should have gone back, I should go back, that growing up, I always thought that I was adopted. I would look for adoption papers. I just felt it inside. I felt like I didn't belong in the right family. It was just this underlying feeling I always had. Mm -hmm. So when my parents would go out when I was a teenager, when they went out, I would literally pull apart their desks and go through trunks. And I remember my mom had this huge trunk in her bedroom at the end of the bed, and I would go through it. Because I was, I was looking for adoption papers. Wow. And what, it was just something inside of you or was something ever said? Or yes. what, why did you feel that way? No. Well, I never felt like I belonged in, in this family and my family. I don't know what it was. It was just a gut instinct. Also, my mom was legally married to another man, a different man, and they got divorced. And I've seen the I've seen the paperwork for it. And they got divorced one week before my parents got married. So I thought maybe he was my biological father, my mom's ex husband. Mm -hmm. But she always swore, no, we hadn't been together for two years. We just didn't file the paperwork for divorce. The other thing that was interesting is that I always felt like I came from a large family, and I grew up in a very small family. I had my my mom's brother has no children. My dad's sister has three girls. So I had three first cousins growing up and that was it. That was it. No other family. Mm -hmm. We had grandparents, we had one aunt and that was it. I kept saying, I feel like I belong in a big family, but nobody, you know, you know, that's really not a big deal. No one thought anything of it, but in my gut, I always thought that. So, and I questioned my mom a lot about the ex-husband. The, the ex I'm like, are you sure he's not my father? And she's like, I'm positive. He's not your father. So I, you know, you take it with a grain of salt, right? You just, move on. You don't think anything of it. My sister did the DNA test. I gave it to her for Christmas. And then in January, 2020, I was at a, my daughter's basketball game and my sister texted me and she says, you're not going to believe this. And I said, what? And she said, I got my DNA results. And I said, yeah. And she said, we're only half siblings. Mm. <laughs> and I kind of laughed. I laughed. I was like, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all. This does not surprise me. She just texted me. I couldn't talk because I was at the game, but she texted me and she said, I think I'm going to throw up. And I will never forget that text because I felt, I felt horrible for her at that point. Yeah. So she took it hard. Yeah. Yeah. She took it harder than I did. I think, I think she probably still takes it harder than I do, which is interesting, I think. So after the game was over, I went outside and I called her. She's like, I really thought you were crazy. She's like, I told all my coworkers, we thought you were crazy. 
I said, that's fine. I said, it's, it's fine. It's not a big deal. It's fine. We're still sisters. I, I, I thought maybe at that point that she felt badly that she didn't have a full sibling. Mm. I didn't really know why. I think she felt a little betrayed now that I think about it. We talked about it. And I think she felt a little betrayed. Yeah. So I went home. I told my husband it wasn't, it wasn't really a big deal. We kind of like stewed over it a little bit. My sister and I talked again. I said, let's call mom, my mom. He said, yeah, that's Carl, but I'm not very close to my mom. I've never been close to my mom. We've always had a really tumultuous relationship. My birth certificate father said, when I was born, we were always oil and water. From the day I was born, oil and water. Interesting. I don't talk to her very much. I maybe at that point, maybe talk to her maybe four times a year, maybe Thanksgiving, Christmas, and maybe our birthdays. I went for a walk and my sister and I called my mom, our mom, and we told her that we did the DNA test and my mom said, that's wrong. That was her first instinct. But I, I know you've done enough interviews that that's not a crazy response. Right. <laughs> you hear that quite often. Yes. yes. <laughs> Where they just say, that's not right. That can't be possible. So she said, that's not right. And I said, mom, it's right. And she said, that's not right. So my sister and I got off the phone. We kind of let it go. We hemmed and we hawed and we just let it rest a little bit. And I think a week or two later, we called her again and asked her about it. And she said, I truly don't know what you're talking about. That's not right. So my sister and I, we talked to my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law does a lot of genealogy work. Mm-hmm. So I talked to her and she said, I think it was her that recommended that me do another test, another DNA test. So I did. And I did ancestry. Well, sure enough, I did ancestry and it pulled up. Same thing. A lot of Mexican cousins, which... And my, I should say, when I talked to my dad about this, he said we're 99.9% European, Northwestern European. And my sister came back on 23andMe as 99.9% Northwestern European. But I did not. I came back 30% Spanish slash Portuguese. Oh, wow. Yeah. So when I did Ancestry, it came back, same thing, a lot of Spanish and Portuguese. And a lot of Mexican cousins. The person that had reached out to me years before and said how we're related, I sent her a note and I said, I'm not sure how we're related, but there's something there and I'm definitely your family, but I don't know. I have no idea how. I have no answers on my end. She was phenomenal. She had been doing a family tree. I don't know how long she'd been doing it, but it was really, really extensive. She emailed me the document of the family tree. When I tell you it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen that's an understatement. So when my husband printed it, it was 10 feet long. Oh, wow. The family tree, like on, yeah, on computer paper. It was so cool. I still have it. I have like four copies. I carry it whenever I go, when I go visit them, I carry it with me. Um, um, what we figured out was my biological grandmother had nine children. Fortunately, unfortunately, she had eight boys and one girl. Oh, so, so yeah, a lot to say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Unfortunately, like if she had nine, nine, eight girls, it would have been simple. But she had eight boys. Okay, so my biological great grandparents also had ten children. So we first had to figure out which one of their children was one of my grandparents. Okay. Yeah, it was it was messy. It was complicated because there were so many of them. But it explained why on my mother's side on Twenty Three and Me. There was like four people and there was thousands on my dad's side. Mm -hmm. I started sending notes to some people on 23andMe, sifting through the closest matches I could find. 
I did the same on Ancestry, but there were so many, I didn't even know where to start. Finally, I was going back and forth with this one woman. I'll call her E. She was super helpful. Basically, her father was related to my grandmother. We started sifting through all that stuff. And so she sent me to a man, I'm going to call him F. She sent me to him and said, you know, he knows that side of the family a little bit better than me. Let me pass you to him. And so I talked to him and it turns out that his father is my grandmother's sibling. So we start talking. And in the meantime, my husband and I, every night after my husband's done with work and after the kids are in bed, my husband and I start sifting through the DNA. So there's so many matches that I had on Ancestry and 23andMe that I could weed through and say, okay, this person is like a third cousin. So we know that their father cannot be my father, you know, mm-hmm. how we process of elimination. And there was a lot of them. I was circling them. I, we, I had highlighted it. We printed it out. We laid it across our bedroom floor and I was highlighting every single name that I had a match to because this person, if this person did not do this extensive family tree, I, I still think I probably wouldn't have my answers. Mm. But there were so many people that had taken the test that I could say, oh, this cousin, nope, this, co- this kid's only a cousin. So that's how we narrowed it down to my grandmother. Then she had those eight boys. And thankfully, technically my uncle, my uncle's daughter had done a test. So I knew, okay, she came back as a cousin. So she's, she can't be my sister. So that her father's not my father. And we literally went down the line and down the line and down the line until we got to, to the end. And there was two boys left that didn't have any DNA matches on either page or either site. Went back to calling people, talked to F again and again. And he said, you know, I really think you need, since you're narrowing it down to this, this grandparent, I think we need to go to this side of the family. He put me in touch with a man named A. Unfortunately, I am not bilingual and his English is not so good. So when I called him, it was really hard. It was really hard to understand him. And it was really hard to understand what he was saying or trying to tell me. So at one point I got in touch with his brother and his brother's English was much better. So his brother kind of helped me. And I've learned in the Mexican culture that they're pretty protective and private. If you're not in their inner circle, they're, they're pretty protective. I don't know if it's all Mexican family, but my Mexican family, they feel pretty protective, at least in my experience. Yeah. Finally, this man, A, he said, and it took a while. It, it probably took, I don't know three to four months, he finally said, let me talk, let me have my daughter talk to you. And I said, okay, that sounds good. Well, she didn't call me <laughs> in hindsight. I know her now and I know <laughs> I can understand why she didn't call mm-hmm. me, but she didn't, she didn't call me. And we, I waited again and I kept waiting and waiting. And in the meantime, I'm talking to A's brother and I'm talking to F and I'm talking to E and I'm talking to and I'm talking to all these cousins, like trying to piece it together. It was a little bit, a little bit insane. Um, but everybody was super helpful. So helpful. They were so great. They were, they were like, we were exploring all these options. So finally, A's daughter calls me. And her and I, I think, end up talking on the phone that day for three hours. Wow. We're the same age. Her and I are the exact same age. Yeah. She, and it's funny. I think she did not, she called me with her guard up. And I can understand that. She called me really guarded. And by the end of the conversation, I, I think I can, I can say we were, we thought, oh, maybe we're sisters. That would be amazing because we got along that well. Mm. So we, we determined at that point that either her father was my biological father or 
her uncle, which she was very, very close to. Um, he had passed away, but she was very, very close to him. So she, she was really kind and sweet, and she offered to do DNA testing, and she did. Well, it came back that she was my cousin, so that ruled out her father. So the only other person left was her uncle. It turns out he was my biological father. But if she didn't do that test, I still wouldn't know. And in the meantime, another cousin, backing up a little bit, came out of the woodwork and called me and said, I I think I'm your father. I remember your mother. At this point, I'm like, my mother's photo is floating around the family. Like there's so much conversation and chatter going on. He came forward and said, I'm your biological father. That was kind of early on. So I sent him a DNA test and it turned out he came back as a cousin. Okay. How are you feeling through all of this? Like, what are your emotions as you're doing this search? You, you were validated by the fact that, you know, your, your birth certificate father was not your biological father. What are your emotions? It was funny. You just said, you just said, um, the word, the exact word that I felt validated. Mm. I wasn't mad. I wasn't upset. I wasn't sad. I wasn't, I felt a hundred percent validated. Yeah. Almost a little, I was almost a little smug about it in my head mm. because I was like, I, like I knew something was off and she's such a liar. Like my mom is such a liar. I, that's why I think my sister took it harder than I did. Right. Because you already believed it. Yeah. I didn't realize that she never knew I felt that way. My sister and I are not close. Well, we're closer now, but we were not close growing up at all. It was, it was a big age gap. My mom and I were constantly fighting. And my sister will tell you now, she was constantly hiding in her bedroom. Mm. Like, that's how bad it was. Okay. In the meantime, I did call my mom's best friend. She has two really good friends, my mom. And I called her best, best friend covered for her. And I didn't know that at the time, but she was covering for her. She did not want to tell her, tell me the truth. But I didn't know at the time that she was covering oh, for her. Oh, wow. I didn't know until recent. Yeah, I didn't know until recently that anybody was covering for her. We did the ancestry test and got the results back. And when I confronted my mom, she just said, "I just don't know how that's possible." She just kept saying, "I don't know how that's possible." Mm-hmm. When we found out who my biological father was, he he was already passed away. Now this is really strange. I have two kids, and kind of interesting. My biological father died the year my son was born mm. in 2006. Kind of strange to me. Like it, it gives me goosebumps that they, that he was born the same year that he passed away. Yeah. yeah. At this point, my mom, we're confronting my mom fairly often. Um, even my husband, my husband, you know, he has a good, rela- he had a good relationship with her, but and he would talk to her. And at one point she even said, well, maybe I was raped. You know, of course that got me all spun up. Yeah. It made me, I was thinking and thinking I was, just thinking about all these situations and she just, it got me spun up because I was like, is this possible? And yes. And of course I, I've been seeing a therapist for a long time and I had a lot of conversations with my therapist about this because my mom just said, I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't remember. So I thought, well, maybe she was raped and she was blocking it out. Yeah. I asked the family, I I asked the side of the family. I said, could he have raped her? And they said, no, they said he was the last one that would ever do anything like that. Mm-hmm. It, it just, it would be out of character for him. I don't think so. And he was pretty, he had a lot of charisma and everybody really liked him and enjoyed him. If you talk to anybody, my entire side, that side of the family, they tell me he was everybody's favorite. Mm-hmm. She's still denying it. She won't, she won't tell you the truth, but you've deduced 
who your your bio father is at this point. So what are you doing? Are you trying to learn more about him? What's your next kind of path? So my sister's results came back in January 2020. And then, it, you know, this took time to play out, of course. In April of 2021, I think it was April 2021, my family, so most of my family is in Colorado. I was conceived in Colorado. A lot of them still live in Colorado. Some of them are in Texas, but mostly in Colorado or Mexico. In 2021, my family went, my immediate family, we went on vacation to Sedona. And I called the one cousin up that was really, really close to him. And she was in Colorado. And I said, maybe we can meet up somewhere halfway in between. She agreed to it, but I wasn't sure, you know, if she would show up. It was a long trip. It was a long trip for both of us. If she came from Colorado and I came from Sedona, we would meet in Utah in the middle. And it was a four hour drive one way. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, that's so far. That's so far, you know, but I will say I grew up with two white parents, very white parents. You know, my mom is Irish and my dad is Canadian and turns out my biological father was Mexican. So at this point, I'm also spinning over, I'm 50% Mexican. It's funny to this day, I know a lot of people on your show talk about your medical information was all wrong. And even like when I was filling up paperwork about voting and you say, I always put that I'm white. And I I literally texted some friends and I was like, do I still put I'm white? I wasn't sure. Mm -hmm. I just wasn't sure. I don't know anything about I don't know. I, you know, I've always been white, so I, I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. I still sometimes don't know what to do, but maybe that's normal. Yeah. Actually makes me, it makes me a little bit sad because I missed out on all those opportunities to learn the culture and to be bilingual. And I wish to this day, I wish I was bilingual. I will say, I don't know. I don't think she remembers being with my biological father. I, I don't, I don't know. I know she was lying about a lot of it, but I, I truly don't think that she remembers being with him. Mm. Though I will say my mom lives really close to my sister. My dad lives close to me. My my birth certificate father lives close to me. And my my mom lives near my sister. And not too long ago, my my sister called me and she said, mom's missing. And I said, what do you mean mom's missing? Long story short, she, she was just at work and her phone broke and she was there for two days and nobody knew it. But in the meantime, I'm calling like her best friend who I know she talks to a lot. We're the one that I know is covering for her, um, asking her, have you talked to her? Well, the next day, she was found that night. And then the next day, I got a call, but it was my mom's other really good friend. And she said, I still couldn't reach your mom. Is she missing? What's going on? And so, oh, I'm so glad you called me. I said, we found her. She's fine. Her phone was broken. So her and I start talking and I know she's pretty close to this friend. So I I start asking questions and she said something about me and my mom never getting along. And I said, yeah, that's true. We don't get along. And I said, did my mom tell you the latest and greatest why we're not getting along? And she said, yeah, something about your biological father. And I said, yeah, do you know anything about it? And she spilled the beans. Oh, wow. She told me what my mom told her. And I, my mom gave her friend more information that she gave than she gave me or my sister. So what happened? So apparently my mom, my mom had remembered him and she didn't, I, I truly think she didn't think she got pregnant, but she didn't give me a ton of, she didn't give the friend a ton of details, but she gave the details that, oh yes, I remember him. Mm. I was like, why wouldn't she tell me that? 
Because to me, she seems like she has amnesia. Yeah. But she just cannot tell me. I, I think maybe because we've had a bad relationship and she doesn't want to give up that control. Mm-hmm. So you, so you kind of got the truth or as close to it as you could. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. As close as I could. So my mom couldn't tell me anything and, and didn't tell me even the little bit that she did know. So I pretty much cut her off. I haven't talked to her in over a year because it's toxic. If you can't, if you can't trust your own mother to be truthful to you, who can you trust? Aren't you supposed to trust your parents? Yeah. But you're supposed to, I, you would think you'd be able to Like, I wouldn't want my kids to ever not be able to trust me. I want to always be honest with them, but she just, she just can't be. To make a long story short, um, in April, when we went out to Sedona, my, my cousin, the one that DNA, she's the one that DNA tested that lives in Colorado. She's the one that found out that we're just first cousins and her dad and my dad, her dad and my dad were actually half siblings, mm. but they were siblings. Mm-hmm. So we drove the four hours from Sedona to Utah and they drove four hours and we met up and we were supposed to meet for lunch and she was so sweet. I could, I could cry just talking about it, but she was so sweet. She came over and I was so nervous, of course, right? We're all nervous when we meet bio family. And she came right over. I was so nervous. I said to myself, like, am I going to hug her? Am I not going to hug her? Is she going to, like, how is it going to feel? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I got out of the car and walked over to her and she just gave me the biggest hug. And I was like, oh, thank God. Like, I'm okay. And we're okay. And it's fine. Well, we sat down to have lunch. It was me and my immediate family, me, my husband, and my two kids. And then it was her, her husband, her daughter-in-law, her son, and her grandchild. So there was what, one, two, five of them and four of us. Mm-hmm. And we sat there and we had lunch and the lunch turned into a four hour ordeal, which was amazing. And honestly, it was probably, okay, aside from the day my kids were born, it was the greatest day of my life. Mm. I can honestly say it was the greatest day. It felt like her and I were sisters. It felt like we were super connected. I loved it. I just love it. To this day, I love it. And um, very close. It was like, we didn't miss a beat. It was like I'd known her my whole life. Wow. Basically. And at the end of it, since we couldn't bio, uh, we couldn't DNA test my dad, my biological dad, because he was passed away. At the end of it, she said, she said to me, and I will never forget this. She said, you, sh- you can stop DNA testing. She said, you look like your dad. Your son looks just like your dad. You are your father. Do not DNA test anymore. You have your answers. But she was very close to him. Wow. Yeah, that made me really, really happy. It's funny. She... <laughs> She was guarded at, a little bit at first, rightfully so. I, I understand. She had videos of my bio father. She she likes to you know take a lot of pictures and take a lot of videos, and she had videos of him. And I, I I gently you know tried to ask for them once in a while, and she never sent them to me. But after we met that day, she immediately went home and she sent me videos of him. Like she kind of like gave it all up. If that makes sense. Yeah, she trusted you. Yeah, it was like okay, like we know for sure she's related and it's okay. It's safe. I cherish those videos. I cherish them. I truly do. And it's funny. I went out in May to her house and she had just sent me the clips of videos, you know, on the phone. And we went to the house. She had family over and we watched some of the videos. And then the long version, it's so weird. It gave me goosebumps. In the long version of those videos, I could see myself in my dad, which I've never had my entire life. Mm. So that was kind of exciting. That was, that was like really exciting. And uh, like, I have this, I don't know, I call I have like a beak. I feel like I have a beak for a nose. And 
my birth certificate father has kind of a big nose. So I thought, oh yeah, that's where I get my nose from. But no, when I saw my bio dad videos, I was like, that is where I come from. And it's so funny when we were in Arizona, we also went and drove to Phoenix and saw a different set of cousins, two actually sets of cousins, because the family is so big. And the first thing one of my other cousins said to me was, you have your dad's forehead. Oh, wow. And yeah, and he said, your dad had a big forehead. <laughs> he, said, he, said, he said, I'm not, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be rude. And, I, and he said, I don't mean to offend you. And I said, it's totally fine. I said, I'm flattered. I said, I'm happy that I look like him. I'm happy that I look like somebody. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that made me, yeah, that made me really happy. And then they keep saying it's so funny. Everybody says, and my, my son gets a little bit annoyed, I think, to hear it because, you know, he's 15 years old and I think it, he gets sick of it. But everybody's like, you, your son looks just like your father. Your son looks just like your father. And I have photos. And it's funny because my son has red hair. And I always thought he got that from my mom's mom because my mom's mom had a little bit of red hair. Well, it turns out, and he's got this, all these curls and it's red and it turns out it came from my bio dad and, and he's got these big eyebrows and my bio dad had big eyebrows and I've been very, very fortunate. All those cousins have sent me photos. I can see my son in them. And every time I see them, I say to my son, you look just like my dad. And he's like, I know, mom, you tell me that all the time. <laughs> I hope someday he, you know, he doesn't get annoyed with it, but you know, he's a teenager right now. So, but it makes me happy. It makes me feel kind of connected to him. Yeah. Yeah. I will say this, this family that's been amazing and wonderful. This is my bio dad's mother's side. Mm-hmm. His father's side will have nothing to do with me. Okay. So it's not all rainbows and unicorns and they, but they're really, really guarded and it's really unfortunate. I, I get it. My bio father had an interesting background. He was in organized crime and I think that crime side comes from that other side. Okay. So that's why they're more cautious. Which is really unfortunate because I am 85% sure I have a half sibling on that side. I know about her. The family knows about her. She didn't know that he was possibly her bio father until very recently. So basically I came out of the woodwork and people started talking. Mm. But I thought... Maybe she would DNA test, but then her mom caught wind of it and her mom squashed that, which is a shame. Okay. So, so that side, you don't know a ton about, and in some ways it sounds like maybe that's safer. Yes, Mm -hmm. exactly. But if you knew my personality, I'm all about, I don't know if it's because I, because of my underlying, you know, things in childhood or that's just how I am. I always want the truth. I don't, and and at what cost? So I have to like kind of be careful where I'm at. Is it worth it? I'm not sure. I'm not sure yet. I'm cautious. I'm being cautious. I'm being cautious on that side. But in the meantime, I have the other side and they're, they're wonderful and they're amazing and they feel right at home. I really don't have any other family except this Mexican family, but they're wonderful. Like they, for the most part, they, they have open arms, not all of them, but there's so many of them. That's okay. You know, I, I'll take the good ones. And they're fabulous. So I talk to them probably, I probably talk to at least one or two of them every single day. I feel fortunate. What are you, what do you hope to come from your relationship with your newfound family? Do you hope to have any connection with the, with your father's paternal side? 
It would be nice. I'm not giving up. I know I hear a lot of people come on your show and they, they, you know, after a while, sometimes people let things rest. And I can understand that because it's rejection, right? Over Mm -hmm. and over and over again. But knowing my personality and also knowing this one cousin that her and I are kind of like sisters now, knowing her personality, her and I are very similar. We're like, I don't know if we're going to rest until this is, we'll see what happens. Uh, I don't know. I I, I just feel like there's a part of me that's like, "Mm, there's a reason that I know about her and, I need to explore that until I thoroughly explore it, that I won't feel like the journey's over. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Yeah. Well, it's it's a part of you. Yeah. Do you have any hope for your relationship with your mom? None. Mm-hmm. No. I, I try for I tried for years to cut her a lot of slack because she was she was brought up with alcoholic parents. Mm-hmm. So I I tried, and she didn't drink at all. But I I tried to cut her a lot of slack because of that, but. When she said to my sister, especially, well, it was just something that happened, making it seem like it's no big deal. And when we figured this all out, and I sent her a long text explaining everything, like how we figured out he was my father, my biological father, she just said, quote unquote, well, isn't that colorful? Mm. So when she says things like that, I'm like, there's just no hope for her. There's no hope. She will never apologize. And I don't, I don't need an apology. I don't. But there's like no remorse. There's no empathy. So Why? I have other people that I'm closer to that are more like moms than she will ever be. It's sad, but it's sad because I know people say she's your blood, but. Right. But you have to do what makes you feel safe. How are you exploring this newfound identity? Have you found ways to connect with your Mexican heritage? Hmm. Okay. So that's a really good question. I have to, I have to chuckle a little bit because this is so Mexican and I am so, you know, I'm so not Mexican, but I try to be, I'm trying to be a little bit more. Yeah. Cause I do want to embrace it. So since my father, my bio father has passed away and my amazing cousin gave me photos of him. And she, even when I went to visit her um, in May last year, she gave me like printed photos of him and, and I framed them. I came home and I framed them and I have set up a little, uh, what's the word? Like you, an you altar. About. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. I couldn't think of the word of it. I have a little altar set up, and my husband kind of he kind of looks at me like, like we're a very white family. Mm-hmm. So like, if you, it's like almost like a shrine for him. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's a shrine. Yeah, like <laughs> and a, it's in our like living in, room in the Day of the Dead, like an ofrenda or something. Yeah, like that. exactly, <laughs> exactly. Even and even okay. So it's so funny you say that in the Day of the Dead because. I, when I found out I was Mexican, I had a year later, to, almost to the day, a year later, I had like a Mexican coming out party with my neighbors. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and my husband, my husband was away and he, he was sweet. They, he had it catered and I had another friend that was awesome and helped. People brought gifts and they didn't need to bring me gifts, but my, some of my neighbors brought me some really nice gifts. And one of them brought me a Day of the Dead poster. It was really, really nice. And I framed it. And that's in my shrine. So I have these built-in shelves in the living room, in my living room, you know, the TV mm-hmm. is in the middle. And on one shelf is candles and they, the day of the dead and then pictures of my dad and my husband. He's so, we're so white. He's so white, which he is white. Right. But he, he just shakes his head because he's like, he's like, we have this Mexican shrine in our living room and people probably like come in like, what is that all about? But I don't think anything of it now. And I love it. I like cherish it every time I walk by it. I talk to this one cousin fairly often and he's always talking about making salsa. (laughs) So I got jalapenos 
And I don't like anything spicy <laughs> at all. I hate spicy food. I just, I, my mom, you know, we grew up eating like chopped suey and everything's really bland. Yeah. And I tried to make salsa, but I had a ton of jalapenos. So me being ignorant, cut them all with my hands, using my hands. Oh. Yeah. And I didn't wear gloves mm-hmm. and pretty much I was burning up every part of my body because, <laughs> because my hands were covered in jalapeno, like my eyes, my ears, like everything, was, everything was burning on me because I learned a lesson though. I learned a lesson that I have to wear gloves. And then my other cousin, A's sister, she was telling me, you have to wear gloves. You have to wear gloves when you cut up jalapenos. <laughs> but they give me little tips, like how to make some Mexican food. Um, I try to, I do, I do try to embrace it, but I, I wish I was bilingual. And it's funny because my whole life, I wish I was bilingual. Mm-hmm. And I did take Spanish as a child, but I've never, I've never had an ear for it. And it's not the same as being exposed to it in the home and everything. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I keep telling my one cousin, I'm going to come live with her for six months. So just speak Spanish to me for six months. And <laughs> even when my kids are older, I'll do that. Because I would like to be able to, you know, I can talk to the, a lot of the younger ones, but there are some of the older ones that don't speak English quite as well. Yeah. Or at all. So I, there's that language barrier. But it's, it's really cool that you're finding ways to connect. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know. I try to. And I... <sighs> I need to learn more about the culture. What advice would you offer a parent who is withholding a DNA surprise from their child? Well, I would say just be truthful, but you know, that's not going to, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to do that. We've known, we know that people in this situation, NPEs, they have parents that are mothers that typically are not truthful. So I would just, I wouldn't, I'm not even going to say be truthful because I think it'll fall on deaf ears. Um, I would say, be honest with yourself. Maybe eventually, if you can be honest with yourself, then maybe you can be honest with your, your children eventually, but you need to be honest with yourself before you can help your, your kids. Yeah, it's a great point. What advice would you offer to someone who just discovered that they're an NPE? I know it's really tragic for a lot of people, but try to find the good. Try to find the positive. Try to find, even if it's just one little positive tidbit, and if you have to cling on to that, cling on to it. It's like the size of a grain of salt. Just cling on to that because I know it's stressful and I know it's traumatic. But to get over the, that part, that side of it, find the good and hold on to it. That's great advice. Well, Kim, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. I hope that your journey continues in a positive direction and that you continue to find ways to connect with your newfound culture. Thank you. Thank you for everything. Thanks for doing this. I love listening to all to everybody's stories. Oh, thank you. All right. So I am joined by Kim and we last spoke in July of 2022 about your DNA surprise and Kim graciously offered to come back on the podcast so we can do an update and share what she's been up to and how things are going and some other work that she's been doing around DNA surprises. So thank you for coming back on, Kim. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So let's just dive right in. Um, The last time we talked, you shared that your bio father is deceased, but that you had been able to connect particularly with your biological father's mother's side of the family. 
So how is that going? Are you still really connected to them? I would say it's constantly evolving. I am still fairly close to some of them. And then some of them, it's kind of fizzled out a little bit, unfortunately. And I don't think it's anything that's happened. Like there wasn't an event that happened, but you know, people get busy. People have things going on. My own father, the man that raised me has been having um, some health issues. That's kept me busy. And I know I have other family members that their family, their parents have kept them busy. We're kind of at that stage in our lives where we're helping them out more. So it makes you, you know, it keeps you busy. Mm-hmm. Um, so naturally things have kind of fizzled out in some aspects and some aspects. I still talk to them on a regular basis, depending on who they are. So I'd say there's still a relationship. That's, that's good. And I know, so on your father's father, so your grandfather's side, your paternal grandfather's yeah. side, um, there wasn't much of a connection there. Has that changed at all? That's the same. And it's funny that you say that because anytime it comes up, I, I do, there's one family member that I'd really like to reach out to, but she is not ready for me or at this time, she's not ready for me to reach out and talk to her, but I do hope that changes. And I honestly, I totally forgot about it because I've been so busy, but it'll be now on the front burner for a while again. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And how are things going with your raised family? Uh, I'm still the same position with my mother. My, I don't know how to speak to my mother. And then my own father that raised me, he has not been doing well. And I don't want to like, I don't want to say too much, but out of respect for him, but he has had to move in with my sister and we're kind of trying to manage him right now and figure out where's the best place for him emotionally, physically, financially. How does he treat you now? So he doesn't really even know still that he's not my biological father. I talked to the autism society that worked with them for a while and they were like, eh, there's really not going to be a benefit. He's not going to fully understand it. I think that's true. There's a lot of things he doesn't understand. We actually recently had an event with him and his car was stolen and the police came out to his house and the police officer pulled me aside and just said, wow, he, he's a little bit like a child. And I said, yeah, he's, Mm. so he doesn't, he still doesn't know, but. Okay. It's a lot to carry. I carry it for him because I, I think after talking to his psychiatrist and the autism society, I think there's no point to put it, to put it on him. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't help anybody. Wouldn't help him. It wouldn't help me. One of the things that you mentioned the last time that we spoke is that your sister really had a hard time and, and it was taking it very hard. How is she doing now? Yeah, it's funny. She doesn't really like to talk about it. I don't, she doesn't directly say, I don't want to talk about it. But if it comes up, the subject is usually changed pretty quickly. Mm. I don't know if it's because she hasn't processed it or she doesn't know what to say, but she's still kind of, it's kind of the same. She's not really sure what to say maybe mm. or how to feel about it. Yeah. Last, but certainly not least. How have you been over the last six months? Oh, you're so sweet. I am really, really good. I know, I can't remember what I said in the last interview, but I was planning on going back to get my master's um, that fall. And I took a little detour and I'm really, really glad I did it. I signed up to take classes um, with the, at the International Association of Trauma Recovery Coaching and today was my last class to become a certified trauma recovery coach. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm very excited. We did a lot of work. Um, 
it's funny when I say I'm, I'm becoming a trauma coach or I am a trauma coach. I, when you think of a life coach, people have preconceived notions. At least I did. I know many people do. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying there's anything bad about life coaches. I think people don't fully understand what life coaches do now that I've like in the coaching world, but to be a trauma recovery coach is even a totally different beast on top of that. So basically we're not therapists, but we help people reframe the way that they, the way that they view their trauma. So we, we don't diagnose, we don't treat, and we're on a peer to peer level, but we help them look at their trauma and try to change the way it's viewed inside, inside of them, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Did you choose to, to go into this because of your DNA surprise or what made you pursue this? Yes. Cause I've realized even though it wasn't overly traumatic for me, like you said earlier, it's, it was validating for me. I, the more and more I dug into it, I realized, man, this really affects people. This really to the core affects people and their families. Mm-hmm. And I said, there has to be, and I was already in therapy. So I, um, I said, there has to be a way to help people get through this. And so I found this program, the NPE certification, but in order to take the certification class, you have to, in this program, you have to do the trauma certification first. And I can understand why they want you to know what people are feeling and how to help them get through, get through the hard stuff by being there for them and supporting them. And I have to, I do have to say that this program is pretty serious about being safe and making sure that the, the client is safe and they're not doing anything unsafe. They have a code of ethics. They follow, we follow code of ethics and there's working principles and we have to stay within those boundaries, which is pretty incredible. I, I don't know. And I, I think my director would say that there's not very many organizations out there in coaching that follow a code of ethics. Yeah. At least that I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. We'll definitely share the the link to the program and more information about it in the show notes here. Oh. When are you hoping to be able to take on clients and support people? So I can take on clients now. I am doing a little bit of work right now for my therapist friend. I am creating a webinar for her right now on trauma, Mm. which I'm kind of excited. It was a good idea. I thought on her part, Um, it's a good way for me to practice and go over everything. And so she owns a practice with that. She does mostly predominantly marriage counseling, but the people that she sees. So two out of three adults are affected in life by a traumatic event. So if she's seeing six couples, there's a good chance all three of those couples are some way affected by trauma in their relationship. Mm-hmm. So if you have to treat a couple, but you need to get to the root of that trauma and try to work on that trauma, it's important that everybody is trauma informed is my point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm working on a webinar for her right now. It's good. It's been good for me. It's, it's taking everything we learned in the course and putting it in the presentation to help therapists become more trauma-informed or become trauma-informed depending on their background. That's so exciting. Yeah. Just, I think it's awesome to see where these DNA surprises can lead us, right? Like, you know, you never know. And it can be a really traumatic thing for people. I know for you, it was more validating because you always felt like something was off, but to still see you parlay that into helping others that have experienced that trauma is really commendable. So thank you for putting in that work. 
I love how you say that because, you know, you're right. It is kind of crazy where it took you this crazy DNA surprise. I am in a totally different place than I was when I discovered it over two years ago. Totally different place. Like I could be on another planet right now. It's <laughs> no, really, it's amazing. And I'm super excited because I'm learning this from ther- my therapists and therapist friends and people that it's really important for our society to be trauma informed because most people, if they, if you meet somebody and they're a little bit there's stuff going on with them. Mm-hmm. Most people are affected by trauma and we yeah. don't take that into account. We just say, Oh, that person, you know, we label them, we label them. Oh, they must be this, or they must be that. But in reality, they're probably touched by trauma in their life in some way. Mm, that's true. So it's giving you more compassion for people. Absolutely. Yeah. It's made me understand more about our society. In, in light of this, I'm curious has your perception of your mother changed? Mm, that's a really good question. Yes and no. That's, that's seriously, that's a really good question. <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm curious because, you know, I do think not for everyone, but you know, that there is sometimes a lot of trauma wrapped up in Absolutely. the reasons why mothers lie uh, or keep yes. these secrets from us. And it's interesting when we are the, for lack of a better word, victims of the lie. Yeah. See, when you're so close to it, when it's so personal, it's easier yes. to not have that compassion, right? In those moments. But, but as you were talking right. about that, I thought, hmm, I wonder how this applies to the mothers. That's funny because when I first started taking the class, the trauma certification course, I I did think about it. I thought, oh, I know that she grew up, my mom grew up in an alcoholic family and I know that affected her. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot in trauma recovery coaching about interpersonal relationships and interpersonal bridges. And when there's trauma, those bridges are broken. So I do think the way she was raised in an alcoholic home did affect her bridges to other people. Does mm-hmm. it make it any easier as a human being, as her child, to know that the betrayal? Mm, not really. Like, I, I do feel betrayed. I feel she could be honest with other people, but not her own children. So that mm-hmm. feels like a betrayal. Do I understand that she has deeper things that are more serious that I do have a little bit of empathy for? Yes. So maybe I, maybe I gained maybe 20% empathy. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, it's your journey, right? Like there's no judgment. You are processing it and managing it. Right. Um, the best way that you can. You're absolutely right. And it's funny you say that because we learn in trauma recovery coaching that something that happens to me, the same thing could happen to you. And we're going to come out of it differently. We're, it's not going to be the same level of trauma. Yep. We're allowed to process everything the way we need to process it. You're, you're absolutely right. So I'm letting myself have those feelings towards her, but I do have that a little bit more empathy. Another piece that I'm really curious about, and I know that you've been super busy, so maybe you haven't had time to dive into this, but you had a new ethnic identity emerge as a result of your DNA surprise. Have you been able to spend any more time learning more about your Mexican heritage or connecting in any sort of way? Interesting you say that because one of our classes I just took on the program is on um, marginalization of populations. Mm. And... I looked every, at everything before through a white lens. I, I was, I was brought up in a white home. And now I can definitely, I don't know if I, I would say I've looked into it more per se, like research wise, but I definitely look at things with a different lens. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not white anymore. I'm, I'm half Mexican. I'm 50%. 
Yeah. I'm not, I'm not March. I was not personally marginalized because I grew up white, but I do think about if I grew up in Mexico or in a, and that people knew I was Hispanic, would it have changed the way that I was treated? Would it have changed? It would obviously would change everything, right? Yeah. What's, what's next for you? I'm wrapping up this class and I, I plan on taking the NPE certification course, which is next. And it's just focusing on basically the trauma surrounding becoming an NPE and helping people through that. Mm-hmm. I'm really, really excited about that. Now that I have the trauma background, I'm thrilled to be able to use it. So I will hopefully be doing that class, potentially maybe taking on some clients. We'll see. I don't know. I have to kind of find my niche. It's funny. I told myself when I graduated from the trauma recovery that I was going to give myself a graduation gift and visit my family. But then, you know, life. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Life, kids sports and tournaments and like horse shows and things that go on in my own life. It just, it's hard. But maybe maybe now after we've spoke, I will. I kind of want to make that happen and go see them. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to share about your journey, maybe for somebody who is just starting out? Yeah, I think I think I said this last time, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I said, try to find the positive in it. And I know I'm not minimizing anybody's trauma. It is a traumatic thing for most people. And you have to work through that trauma, obviously. But I hope that you can find something just one little thing that can make you happy in the situation and definitely mm-hmm. find the, the right people that can support you. People that won't minimize it for you. So you can be heard because that's important. It's important to be heard. Kim, thank you so much for, for checking in and giving us an update on how you're doing. Uh, who knows? Thank maybe we'll so continue this. <laughs> do it again well, in another six it. months. It's so nice to meet you and I appreciate everything. I truly do. Thanks again to Kim for sharing her story. If you're interested in learning more about Kim's work, all of her information is included in the show notes. If you have a DNA surprise story that you'd like to share, please email dnasurprises at gmail.com. Until next time.